Amen. All right. Well, hey, again, uh, how many guys, again, were here for the last two conferences we had back to back? Okay. Now, if you were here, you noticed that there was kind of a theme we dealt with, what I call the big Bible prophecy signs. There's a lot of signs in the scripture God gives us that it's getting close. We're living the last days. And in those two conferences, we, we dealt primarily with the big signs with the one world government, the one world economy, and the mark of the beast system, right? And how these great uh, reset guys, and they admit, are using COVID to usher all those things in to get the job done. Okay, and we saw that clearly. But my question is, if you understand the scripture, what's the other, if you will, big Bible prophecy sign that it's getting close to the, the, in the last days of return of Christ? Not just a one world economy, a one world government, and the mark of the beast. It's a what? One world religion. And I don't know about you, but uh, we apparently got tons of time to goof off because there's no signs of a one world religion forming on our planet anytime soon. Are you kidding me? Are you paying attention? All four of these signs are, are being laid before our very eyes. And the false prophet, I mean, the Pope is leading the charge, right? Did you see this in the news? Watch this. This is crazy. Hey, everyone. I am Deline Hassan. Welcome to Inspire Medias. This week, we're focusing on the topic of inclusion and tolerance within regional societies, starting with a project in the UAE, which will be a home to a mosque, a church, and a synagogue. The UAE is home to a diverse population of more than 200 nationalities, and it's a melting pot of multiple cultures and faiths. A beacon of religious coexistence is planned for the capital Abu Dhabi called the Abrahamic Family House. Rebecca McLaughlin-Eastam looks into what it really means from Jewish, Christian and Muslim representatives in the region. Take a look. Religious history was made in Abu Dhabi last year when the document on human fraternity was signed by Pope Francis and Dr. Ahmed El Tayeb, the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar. It called for tolerance, universal peace and the reconciliation of all faiths. Embodying this agreement, this year construction will start on a project called the Abrahamic Family House on Sadiat Island. Due for completion in 2022, the site will house a church, a mosque and a synagogue. Yep, time to goof off. There's no signs of a one-world religion and some sort of spiritual global leader trying to schnucker the world into doing that. By the way, this is one of the easiest things to dispute from the Scripture. This idea, it sounds good. It's, can we all just... Haven't you heard that Beatles song? You just got to love one another. All you need is love and just join hands. And Jesus said, I did in John 14, 6. He is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through him. Not a way, a truth, a lie. This is a lie. This is a counterfeit. This is what God warned about would happen on the planet when Jesus Christ is getting ready to come back, okay? But, uh, but anyway, uh, did you know that not only is the Pope behind this, but they're wanting to build one of these, not just in the heart of the Islamic community, as you just saw, but even in New York. It's coming there as well. Watch this. This is crazy. A one-world religion center, the plans have now been unveiled in New York, and they are planning to break ground soon. Images and video have now been released for the Abrahamic family house in New York. The plans will include a mosque, a church, and a synagogue, and were decreed by the Higher Committee of Human Fraternity. Hmm. You know, the same organization that Pope Francis is saying we all got to do that. Oh, but not only that, they want to, uh, of all places, they want to put one of these centers in uh, Washington, D.C., you know, where Sleepy Joe lives. I'm sure he'll never go along with that. Watch this.
Now, as a side note, if you guys haven't caught on with this interfaith, interfaith is the buzzword for one world religion. That's all it is. But notice how they use the word Christian? What they're really referring to is Catholicism, which is not biblical Christianity. But uh, Mr. Catholic Sleepy Joe Biden, I'm sure he'll never go along with this. Uh, What do we see in our last two conferences? This guy is not only a part of the Great Reset, the same guys who want to build the one world religion, a one world economy, and the mark of the beast system. His whole slogan, Build Back Better, comes straight from those guys. So he's a part of that same camp. And if you hear at our last conference, the message I gave at the very end there, uh, we got him on tape talking with Chief Justice John Roberts. He said, mark my words, you will rule on this before your tenure is over. And he said, what? Can a microscopic tag be implanted in a person's body to track their every movement? There is actual discussion on that. You will rule on that. Nuts. It's all coming together. But wait a second, that leaves one huge group. Are you, are you the Jewish people really going to go along with this too? Yeah. In fact, they want to incorporate it in their new third temple, the temple the Antichrist will go into to declare himself to be God, on the Temple Mount. It solves the problem with the Muslim presence there. We could share space and build this one world prayer house. It's nuts. Watch this. This is crazy. Welcome back to Holy Land Uncovered. I'm Tal Henrik, and our next discussion is one that can only take place in the Holy Land. Have you ever heard about initiatives to build the third temple in Jerusalem? Well, even if you might have heard, such an initiative still might really surprise you. How about Turkish Muslims promoting the Third Temple project along with Jewish Orthodox rabbis? Meet the doctors Oktar Babuna and Jihad Gundudu. They came here from Turkey. Thank you so much and welcome to Israel. And Yehuda Glik, Likud member of Knesset, will also join us shortly. Oh, here he is. Thank you so much, Yehuda, for being with us as well. Um, So the Temple Mount is one of the biggest flashpoint sites in the region. It often ignites very violent, you know, clashes. Uh, And your message here is, Holy sites, I'm reading it, should be centers of reconciliation and not conflict. Beautiful people are living in this country. It's a unique place. It is sacred both for Jews, for Muslims, and for Christians. And that makes it prone to many uh, centers of uh, conflicts and violences. But this is no benefit for anybody. It's a prayer house where God's name is me- will be mentioned. And it has to be revealed for people, na- uh, all the nations to pray there, as stated in the Ishaya. All nations, God says will be praying there together, shoulder to shoulder, to serve God. These are statements from the Torah. Yehuda Glik, um, you're joining us. Oh, oh, you will be with us in just a sec. Here. Yehuda, so um, you met with uh, the two doctors sitting with me here in the studio. Were you surprised by this initiative? Yes, I am. I'm actually in a very long-term connection with uh, uh, Dr. Oktar and Dr. Babuna, and I think that uh, they're doing wonderful activity. They're led by uh, a, a very special leader from uh, Turkey, Adnan Oktar. And I think that uh, it shouldn't surprise us because people who believe in God know that God is inclusive and not exclusive. And he wants us all to join together and turn the Temple Mount into a house of prayer for all nations. And I think that uh, I am sure that we're in the beginning of of a biblical era where more and more religious leaders from around the world will join this wonderful initiative of turning the Temple Mount 
to a place where it should be a world center for peace and calling in the name of the one and only God. And what we're seeing here is image, are images of the future temple, third temple mount. Um, that is very interesting, but I have to ask, is it doable? Is it not a fantasy? Well, because, you know, with so many regulations, uh, objections, and funding, of course. With love and discussion, it is very, very doable. Actually, it's a promise of the God. As we have uh, uh, read the statements from the Torah, we will pray there all together. It's a prayer house of God. There is no, uh, uh, for, uh, there is nothing can stop that. In the, we are living in very specific times, and with this pure gold carvings, and with original form, it will be revealed for, as a prayer house for all the nations shoulder to shoulder. It's doable because we can discuss that. First of all, we should know it's not going to damage either the uh, Dome of the Rock or Masjid al-Aqsa. There's enough land, and this will be a prayer house for Jews, Christians, and the Muslims. For years, people have said, there's just no way, it's got to be a long ways off. Uh, the Jewish people, yeah, they got all their articles ready, they got the priesthood trained, they're ready to go, but there's no way they're ever going to get a temple rebuilt on the Temple Mount. And the false prophet, I mean the Pope and others around the world, are sitting there saying, oh yeah, we can share the space together. All we need is love. Just in time for what has to happen, you have to have that temple built because the Bible says halfway into the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist goes into that temple you just saw the animation of. That's how close we are. And he's going to commit the abomination of desolation. He's going to go up there and say, oh yeah, I'm God, worship me. That happens at the midway point. They're ready to go now problem solved, and we leave prior. We don't know the day nor the hour, but folks, that's why we're going to continue in our study. Are you ready for the rapture, man? All four big signs, man, are happening before our very eyes. One world religion, one world government, one world economy, and the mark of the beast, not to mention a plethora of other ones. And so what we've been seeing in our study, man, this is just what I call it. It's a study where the rubber meets the road. You can get all kinds of things wrong in life, like listening to Pope Francis with all due respect. Yeah, forget that all due respect thing. He's a false teacher. Uh, uh, but guess what? Don't get eternity wrong, right? Don't get the rapture wrong. Don't be left behind. This is real, folks, and it's not a game, okay? And so far, we've seen seven things about the rapture to help people get ready for it. We saw the basis of the rapture, the importance of the rapture, the purpose of the rapture, the reward of the rapture. Man, that was amazing. The timing of the rapture, the objections to the pre-trib rapture, because we believe Firmly, that's what the scripture teaches us. But then we saw the last six times the problematic positions of the rapture, starting with the post-trib position we dealt with three times in a row. There's your blessed hope. Uh, you're going to go seven years into the seven-year tribulation. What? Then we dealt with two times in a row the pre-wrath position. You're going to go three-fourths of the seven-year tribulation. Uh, and then last time we saw the mid-trib position. Oh, no, I got to go through half of it. Well, that's what they believe, uh, but that's not what the Bible teaches. We saw just a way to chart it out that we leave, the Bible says, prior, pre-trib, prior to the seven-year tribulation. We're up in heaven during the whole time. At the end of the seven years, Jesus Christ comes back. We with him at the second coming Revelation 19. But mid-trib, just like it sounds like, no, nope. they said, no, nope, you got to go through half of it, and you only get out of there in the middle part. And what we saw is when you compare it to the Bible, which is what you're supposed to do as a Christian, okay, it's got major problems, mid-trib, just like the other ones, okay, shocker, okay? And what we saw is it places the, it just makes you laugh, doesn't it? Oh, are you serious? Are you kidding me? What a gut buster, right? Uh, it places the church in the seven-year tribulation. It removes God's wrath in the seven-year tribulation. It places the rapture in the seven-year tribulation, and it removes imminency before the seven-year tribulation. And we saw it's very clear. You don't have to pray and fast about this for 15 years to figure it out. The proper reaction to this, if your belief confuses the scripture and contradicts God, you're wrong. 
you need to get back to what the scripture teaches. Unfortunately, that's not the only one. The fourth one we're going to deal with now, and the final at least position on the rapture, is what's called the partial rapture position. And as you can tell, this guy's excited. No, he's not. And you know why he's not excited? Because here's actually what these guys believe. Ah, as you can see by that picture, this guy is in a state of turmoil because the partial rapture te- uh, teaches, would have you and I believe, that only the super-duper spiritual Christians get to go in the rapture. The rest of us lazy backsliders, you're doomed! You're going to be left behind! As crazy as that sounds, that's what they believe. It's nuts. Okay, but that's not what the Bible teaches about the rapture. But don't take my word for it. Let's go back to the rapture passage. One of them. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's read that again. You tell me if it says there, only the super ones get to go. You lazy backsliders who haven't taken that membership class with Pastor Bobby. You do. <laughs> Doesn't say that. Right? Well, let's take a look. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Again, this is just one of the rapture passages in the Bible. But I think it will be sufficient to get the point across. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15, of course, the other one, John 14. But let's go ahead and stand as we read what the Bible says about this event called the Blessed Hope, the Rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 says this, Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. In other words, Christians who have already died. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Obviously, the Christians already passed on. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are what? still alive, and who are left till the coming of the Lord, the rapture, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep or died. For the Lord himself will come down from where? Heaven, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are what? Still alive, and are left, will be caught up, harpazo, where we get the word rapture from, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord how long? Forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You may be seated with that encouragement, but the point is, guess what? You can't do that if you believe in the partial rapture theory because you're not encouraging one another. You're freaking one another out with the false teaching that it's only the super-duper saints that get to go. And the problem is, guess what? Nobody knows who that super-duper saint is or what you got to do to qualify to be that super-duper saint. And they none of them agree, and they all got their own lists. It's nuts, but that's what they'd have you and I believe. Okay, and uh, more importantly, that's not what the Bible says, right? What did we just read? Did it say there in that rapture passage, clearly, that only the super-duper saints get to go in the rapture? Did you see anywhere in there where it says, no, only a small group of spiritually advanced Christians, they get to meet Jesus in the class. The rest of you losers stay behind. You can be purged and cleansed. Now, as goofy as that sounds, folks, that's exactly what they would have you not believe. It's nuts, okay? Now, again, just to kind of put it into its context, here's what these guys would have you and I believe about the rapture. The partial rapture view is obviously the false belief that only those Christians who are worthy will be raptured. And those who are found wanting will be left behind to face the seven-year tribulation. Some of them say all seven years, three and a half years, it all depends. They don't even agree on each other. They say uh, it's only those zealous Christians, faithful to the Lord, watching every day for his return. Only they will be caught up into the seven-year tribulation, avoid the seven-year tribulation. But those of you weaker brethren (laughs) who are not actively waiting for Christ or because of the manner of your lives are not counted worthy. You'll be forced to go through its purifying fire. Are you scared yet? They actually said this, and I quote one of these guys. Are you among the lukewarm whom the Lord will spew out of his mouth to pass through the seven-year tribulation? Or are you one of his loyal ones who are faithfully performing the tasks, showing yourself worthy to escape it? 
The chastening fires of the seven-year tribulation over which the Lord sits as the refiner of silver watching and guarding these imperfect, unfit, unworthy, but loved ones will uh, until the dross has been purged and they're ready to reign with him. And they even say this, watch this, there will be a series of raptures with believers being caught up as they become ready. What Bible are you reading? Apparently not the Bible. Because that is so off base, it's nuts. But that's what they would have us believe. That's the basic premise of what's called the partial rapture theory. I thought that thing had pretty much gone away because it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, But man, it seems to be on the rise lately. Okay, and so we're going to have to deal with that as we close out this section on the positions on the rapture, okay? And so, again, once you compare this belief to the Scripture, which is what you're supposed to do, just like the other ones, post-trib, pre-wrath, and mid-trib, it's got some serious problems. And dare I say, it's not just unbiblical. As we see, it's blasphemous. And as you'll see, it's dangerous. As you'll see, how far can you push this? And now it's not a secondary issue. It's a salvific issue because you're pushing works, not grace. That's very dangerous, okay? Now, the first problem we see with the partial rapture position is it destroys the atonement of the church, right? The atonement of the church, right? Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse with these other positions, post-trib, pre-wrath, mid-trib, here comes partial rapture theory and takes it to a whole nother uh, level. And again, it's not just unbiblical, folks. It is blasphemous because at the outset of what they have us to believe, it denies the atonement of Jesus Christ because what's the premise? They say, listen, it's not Jesus and him alone who cleanses us and purifies us from our sins. It's what? It's yourself and your suffering in the seven-year tribulation. Last time I checked, if you read the Bible, which I highly recommend, that's not true. One guy says this. He says, the partial rapture view states, listen, here's the whole reason why. They say, some of you losers are going to be left behind in the seven-year tribulation, because the church needs to go through a period of cleansing before the rapture. And this period of cleansing via persecution and suffering, according to the partial rapture view, is necessary to return the church to serve the Lord and burden it of sin. That is blasphemous. The Bible's very clear. You do not purge yourself of sin. Jesus Christ does, and him alone. That is if you read the Bible, which again, I highly recommend. Uh, But again, don't take my word for it. What's the scripture say? Who cleanses us and purges of sin and makes us worthy uh, to get to heaven? That's Jesus. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the what? Grace of God that brings salvation, not your works, has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. We, We serve him because we love him because it's by grace, right? And specifically as we wait for the blessed hope of the rapture. In fact, he goes on and says, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem uh, from all wickedness, us from all wickedness, and to what? Purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful world. After he had provided what? Purification for sins. He, Jesus, sat down at the right hand, of the majesty of heaven, Hebrews 10, 14. By, because of one sacrifice, he, Jesus, made perfect, how long? Forever, those who are being made holy. First John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he's in light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus does what? The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from how much? All sin. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and what? 
purifies from how much? All unrighteousness. The Bible is very clear that the only way we are cleansed of our sins, we are purified, that we are made worthy and righteous to be able to stand before God, dare I say, to get to heaven, including heaven that is the destination after rapture, is what? It's through the cross of Christ alone. That's it. You don't do it on your own way. That's why the rapture and the cross are mutually uh, together. You can't separate. One guy says this, to claim that any believer needs purification, further purification, insults the work of God on our behalf, Jesus' death on the cross. It implies that Jesus' righteousness, which we possess, still lacks something in order to qualify us for inclusion in the rapture. Let me translate that part. You just denied the cross of Jesus Christ. You just denied the atonement, the purification, the cleansing of your sins through his work on the cross. And dare I say, that's not just unbiblical, that's not just blasphemous, that is dangerous. Because here's the irony. How far can you push this works-based mentality that I gotta do it myself, I gotta prove myself worthy through my suffering and pain or my works now to avoid that seven-year tribulation? That's called works-based mentality. And if that's what you think is going to get you to heaven, here's the sad irony. You ain't going to heaven. Because... How far can you push it and you're not trusting solely in the atonement of Jesus Christ, his work on the cross? That's the only way you get there. That's why, again, this is not just unbiblical and it's not just blasphemous. It's dangerous because it, can be, it becomes a false gospel. And these people use it. Oh, that's why you're left behind. No, the reason why you're not going to the rapture is because you believe you're getting there by your works. This is a false gospel, folks. It's very, very serious. One guy says this, the problem is saying that only faithful Christians will be taking the rapture with unfaithful Christians being left on the earth to suffer in the seven-year tribulation, is you can't support that from the Bible. The passages that do describe the rapture, 1 Corinthians 15, we saw 1 Thessalonians 4, definitely apply universally to all Christians, mature, immature, faithful, disobedient, versus on top of that, like Romans 8, 1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, for God has not destined us Christians for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, it tells us that God, listen, does not pour out his wrath on any Christian. Which brings us to another problem with this partial rapture position. The outset, it implies that what? Some Christians, those lazy backsliders, they're gonna what? They're gonna be under the wrath of God, the seven-year tribulation. How many times we gotta go through this? The Bible's very clear. If you're a born-again Christian, you are not going to be under God's wrath. You can't be there. Right? Let's just quote some Bible again. Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, Jesus, how much more shall we be what? Saved from God's wrath through him. Right? 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who what? Rescues us from what? The coming wrath. He does that by way of the rapture. We're not going to be here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible very clearly, if you read it, and I highly recommend it for some strange reason, you can't get around this. It says we are, we are saved from, we are not appointed from, and we are rescued from God's wrath. So how can you as a partial rapture person say, oh yes, some of you will. None of us will. And praise God is right. That's why we love him, because it's complete. It's not based on my works, not me trying to purge my own. Are you kidding me? If, if our salvation was dependent upon our works, Every one of us, myself included, would be doomed straight to hell. Because the Bible says that God is holy. He is holy. He is holy without sin. And we've all sinned and fall short of his glory. The scripture is clear. 
Now, your sins may have been different than my sin, but we all got sin. Sin's the problem. Sin's what separates us from God. And that's the beauty of the cross. God will take the righteousness of Christ that you didn't earn as a gift of eternal life, and he'll apply that to your account. He takes the righteousness of Jesus and puts it on your account. He takes your rottenness and my rottenness and puts it on Jesus on the cross. What a deal. And it's a gift. That's why you believe, right? But these guys deny that, and that's why we reject it, which is why this guy says, there is no biblical evidence whatsoever of a partial rapture. Every believer will be taken to heaven in the rapture because it's based on the cross of Christ. But that's just the first thing. The second thing is it destroys the teachings of the church. And if you examine what they're basically saying, this blasphemous idea of a partial rapture position that we need to be cleansed, we need to be purified, we need to make ourselves worthy to get to heaven to the... Wait a second. How is that any different than the false teaching of Roman Catholicism called purgatory? It's not. It's the exact same thing. You just applied it to eschatology, right? And for those of you who may not be familiar with that false teaching... Uh, Roman Catholicism, of course, is a works-based salvation, a false gospel. You've got to keep the sacraments. But even if somehow you can keep the sacraments, you're still not going to heaven. The Bible says, if you're born-again Christian, that at 2 Corinthians 5, 8, absent from the body is what? Bang! To be present with the Lord in heaven. Instantaneous, we go to be with him. Praise God for that. Or if the rapture, we skip that death thing. How many guys looking forward to that? Yeah, okay. And then we go to be with the Lord. That's, that's not what they teach. You don't got to work your way there. But according to official Catholicism, you still ain't got to get there. You're going to go to this mythical place, this limbo place called purgatory. And it's called purgatory where you purge, a place of purging of your sins through your torment and flames, suffering. And then maybe after a thousand years, who knows, a million years, then you get to heaven. That's what they teach. How is that false teaching any different than the partial rapture? Yeah, you want to escape the seven-year tribulation, God's rather. You better be worthy. You gotta, you're gotta, you going to, or if you're left behind and you're not already automatically worthy with all these works that I'm going to make up and nobody agrees on, then you're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to burn in the torment of the God's wrath, and then you'll go with the rapture. And How's it any different? It's not. They took the false teaching of purgatory, applied it to eschatology. It's the same thing. And can I tell you something? If the first one's wrong, the next one's wrong. Right? One guy, he puts it this way. He says, the problem with the idea that the church uh, needs to be going through a period of cleansing before the rapture and the seven-year tribulation is, is brought to light easily by just this one question. What about all the Christians saved in the last 2,000 years who've died and who are already with the Lord? Why should a handful in comparison to all the believers who have lived since Pentecost, why, why should they have to endure this supposed cleansing? And where in the New Testament does God say that he will purge the church of sin in the seven-year tribulation before they get raptured. God says in Christ, all sins are forgiven. And where's this supposed need of a cleansing before the rapture can even occur in the first place? Yet that's what the partial rapture people say. And they say, and here's why. Because the church has gone into apostasy. Well, I agree with that. And they said, well, that's why they got to go in the seven-year tribulation. They got to be purged and cleansed of this. Well, hello. The last 2,000 years, unfortunately, the church has been flooded with false doctrine and false teachers. Okay, and false religions will continue to flourish in the seven-year tribulation. We just saw the Pope and the one world religion. But the Bible nowhere says that in all of God's word that there will be a purifying of the real church before the rapture can occur. The Bible says it's the blood of Jesus Christ that is sufficient to cleanse us from all sins. That's why the idea that the church needs to be purified, listen, creates a Christian purgatory, which is blasphemous to the blood of Jesus. 
This is why the partial rapture theory is so dangerous. Listen, it adds works to grace, which means it contradicts the gospel, which means it's a false gospel because it insults the work of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There is no purgatory or other further cleansing of sin for those who are in Christ. Jesus Christ will not leave any of his own behind when he comes for his church because the cross is sufficient. It's finished. You don't add to it. That's blasphemous. Unfortunately, these guys persist. But partial rapture theory also destroys what I call the destination of the church. Now, again, we just kind of briefly talked about this, but think about this. It's common sense. At least you would think it would be, right? Uh, how do we get to heaven? By your own works, and you got to take that membership of Pastor Bobby, and then you got to prove yourself worthy, and you got to stay away from bowling and all that evil stuff. No. How do we get to heaven? By our works? No. Hopefully, we all get this one right, or we're in a heap of trouble. By grace through faith. It's the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We believe that, right? Now, aren't you glad we just made that up? No, we're quoting Bible. Surely, as a Christian, uh, we've at least memorized this verse. Come on, this is the crux of the gospel, right? How do you get to heaven, right? Here it is, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by what? Grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. Why? Because it's a gift from God, not of work, so that no one can boast. You know, like the partial rapture person. Because all those people who believe in the partial rapture, of course, it's not them who's going to be left behind. Because they're worthy. They come up with their list of do's and don'ts, and that's what they follow. The rest of you lazy slobs, you lukewarm backslider. That's boasting. That's not the gospel. You boast in the cross of Jesus Christ if you want to boast in something. Now, here's my point. That's how we get to heaven. Last time I checked, when we get raptured, where do we go? Same destination, right? Let's again look at that passage. I'm not making it up. First Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. For the Lord himself will come down from where? Heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive are left will be caught up, raptured, raptura, uh, harpazo in the Greek there, together with them to, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord, what? Forever. Where is Jesus Christ right now? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, Acts chapter 1. So here's my point. Uh, If we don't get to heaven, if we were to die today, which could happen, and 2 Corinthians 5, 8 kicks in, absent from the body to be, bang, instantly, we're at the presence of God in heaven. If we don't get there to heaven when we die by works, but by grace through faith, then last time I checked, the rapture is the same destination. So how could you say we get to go in the rapture, which takes us to heaven, by another way? If the first one is not of works, lest anyone should boast. The second one is not of works, lest anyone should boast. Can, you, can we figure that one out? But that's what these people say. There's no way, folks, if the first one's uh, by grace through faith, the second one's by grace, because the destination's the same, right? God didn't change the rules. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. One guy puts it this way. He says, come on, it's common sense. He says, when I was a little boy, he said we were visiting my sister in Southern California, and after spending the day sightseeing, we decided to go to Chinatown for supper and, and, and shopping. And I became distracted. I was looking at the toys. I lost sight of my, my parents. And man, I was terrified. I I'd wandered away from my parents and I couldn't see them. And for a brief moment, I wondered, <gasps> did they leave me behind? Maybe my parents thought I was with my older sister. Maybe he thought that I was with the other. And, and where were they? I, I looked away for just a moment. I, I didn't see him. And after what seemed like an hour, but more likely a minute or less, he said, I, I located my mom. I rushed to her side. In fact, he says, frankly, my mom and dad never even lost sight of me. But here's my point. 
If our loving earthly parents would never leave a short seven-year-old boy behind to face danger, why in the world do some people say that Jesus will leave behind some of his own followers to face the terrors of the seven-year tribulation? It's nuts. Theologians, he says, call this false teaching the partial rapture theory, which asserts that only those who are watching for the Lord's return, only those who are ready for it, will return with Jesus uh, to heaven at the rapture of the church. And, and those that are not walking with the Lord at that time will go through the terrible time of the tribulation for further purification, a purgatory of sorts for saints. But will Jesus leave true believers behind when he comes for his church? Absolutely not. He would no more leave any of us behind any more than loving parents would leave their small child behind 2,000 miles away from home. Not only does Scripture not teach a partial rapture, it contradicts the message of grace by which the Lord saves all of us. It's false. It's unbiblical to the core. And again, my concern is this. If you really believe that, you just took what's supposed to be a secondary issue, i.e. positions on rapture, and you turned it into a salvific issue. You literally think you're getting there by your works, which means you're not saved. And the irony is, guess what? You're in for a rude awakening. You think, my aha, my list of do's and don'ts that I'm going to prove that I'm worthy for the rapture. You're trusting in works. You'll be left behind at the rapture. You're in for a rude awakening, man. You better get back to what the scripture teaches. Okay? Unfortunately, uh, that's not all. Let's take a look at the next one. It also destroys the comfort to the church. Okay? Now, again, the Bible has a title for the rapture, scripturally. It's called the blessed hope. It's not the, the blessed torment. It's not the doom and gloom prophecy. It's not, oh no, you can just never know. I don't know what you're going to do. It's the blessed hope. The rapture of the church is something that should excite us. Ooh, right? I don't know about you, but I'm kind of excited not having to go in the seven-year tribulation. Yeah. And if we're of that generation, which we very well could be, the other thing that's exciting is we get to, while we are still alive, that means we escape the death thing. I kind of like that. That's kind of encouraging. And that's why Paul says the message of the rapture should be the most incredible message that we can encourage one another as Christians with, right? And again, I didn't say he did. Bef- uh, rapture passage, he talks about it. What's he say? After that, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 through 18, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. Listen, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And he says it again in the very next chapter. Verse Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, including the wrath in the seven-year tribulation, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, what? Encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. You can't do that with the partial rapture message. Saying that, I don't know. Are you going to be in there? I don't know. How about you? Are you going to, what are you going to do? Are you going to be half of it? Some of it? All of it? Ah! That's not encouraging. In fact, when you take a look at the seven-year tribulation, even a nanosecond, and these guys don't even agree. No, you're going to go through the whole thing. No, only half. No, only You're going to have raptures all the way through as you become worthy. Even a nanosecond in that time frame, folks, is not an encouraging word. Right? Let's take a look at that real quick. What's going to happen? Well, it starts off with the seal judgments. The first seal, you got the white horse rider, global false peace, the rise of the Antichrist. Second uh, one is the global war that breaks out. The third one, a global famine breaks out. The fourth one, a global death. One-fourth of the earth is annihilated four different ways by sword, famine, 
plague and wild beasts. That's about 2 billion people. The fifth seal, you got a global persecution. Anybody that turns to God, you should have got saved today and avoid the whole thing. But if you turn to God in that time frame, they're going to be slaughtered like flies. Uh, the beginning of the, uh, the sixth seal, man, watch what does that thing unleash? A global earthquake. The sun turns black. The moon turns red. Asteroids fall into the earth. The sky recedes. Mountains and islands are removed from their places. There's a global fear of God's wrath. And you're just getting started. Now you got the trumpet judgments. And the Bible says that it started with silence in heaven. Basically, <gasps> Watch this, and here it comes. Here comes the first trumpet, right? One third of the earth and trees on the whole planet is burned up. All the green grass is burned up. The second one, a huge asteroid slams into the planet. One third of the sea dies. A third of the ships are destroyed. The third uh, trumpet, a third of the rivers and fresh water are bitter. Many people die as a result. The fourth trumpet, the solar smiting. One third of the sun, moon, and stars are struck. One third of the day and night is without light. The fifth trumpet, watch this. Satan releases demon horde of locusts. People are tortured for five months. Uh, those who took the mark of the beast, and it says it's so horrible they want to die, but God doesn't allow them to die. She's going to be horrible. The sixth trumpet, four angels are loose from your, the rear Euphrates, and one third of mankind's killed. I mean, you already had one fourth. Now here goes another third in one fell swoop. And then, oh, you're still getting started. You got the bull judgment. And the first bull, ugly and painful sores break out on all that the took the mark. The second bull, all the sea, not a third of it, all the sea turns to blood. All the sea creatures die. Can you imagine the stench? All the rivers and fresh water, the third bull of bullets. Now you got no fresh water on the planet. All water is contaminated. And then God turns up the sun. The fourth bowl, he scorches people with fire. They curse God. The fifth bowl, he plunges the Antichrist kingdom into darkness. The sixth bowl, the refrigerator radius dries up to lead people away for the battle of Armageddon. And then three evil frog-like spirits deceive the whole world to join him for that suicide mission out of the mouth of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And the seventh bowl, God says, it is done. That's it. I've had it. The greatest of all earthquakes in the history of the planet occurs. There's a new look for Jerusalem. It's split into three. All the cities on the planet collapse. A cup of wrath is given for Babylon, the one world religion. We saw that in the videos. All the islands and mountains are not just moved. They are gone. You can't find them. That's how big that thing was. A massive hailstorm. They're, uh, uh, according to the Greek, a hundred pounds each, right? The battle of Armageddon ends. The blood is, God doesn't lose. Hello, Okay, the blood is high as a horse's bridle that's four feet deep for 200 miles. Then the angels go out and they harvest the righteous, the Jewish remnant, as we're going to see in a second, and the other angels, those who still didn't turn to God during that time and yet somehow survived all this, they get scooped up and thrown straight into hell. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Build each other up with the news that you don't know if you're going to go in there. And if you're in there, it could be seven years, half of it. I don't know. <laughs> that's nuts. The scripture says the rapture is one of the most amazing, encouraging. You just destroyed that on a massive scale. One guy says it's a partial rapture, the belief that God will take only faithful Christians. And we'll leave those unfaithful Christians behind to endure the hardship of the suffering of the seven-year tribulation, along with the rest of the unbelievers, is extremely difficult to support from the Bible. In other words, you can't. He says it's obvious. The two main passages that speak of the rapture, Okay, clearly speak of Jesus coming to take all believers with him. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Corinthians 15 states, listen, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And that's referring to the context of the Corinthian church. I don't know if you read that, but some people say you need to translate 1 and 2 Corinthians to 1 and 2 Californians. That church is messed up. That church had sin, had division, had all kinds of rotten stuff going on. Nobody's condoning, and that's what Paul's writing in. He's correcting them, the church of sin. And he says what? All, no matter your maturity level, is going to go, right? There's no distinction made between those who are faithful and unfaithful. The second passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, again, speaks of all believers in Christ, those who have already died by the time of the rapture and those who are still alive. 
they're all going to be with Jesus. The emphasis is on every Christian in the grave and every Christian living at that time will be raptured by Jesus. And that's why he concludes verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. But how can Paul claim these words were encouraging unless all believers to whom the letters were written would be raptured? Common sense. But that's why we reject it, the partial rapture theory, because you reject this encouraging word. Let me give you a couple more and we'll close. Number one, it destroys the peace, the peace that we have. The scripture says, man, this is one of the greatest things to know. Not just knowing that when you die, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord through the, by grace, through faith, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If you believe in that, that's, that's what you get. Not only does that mean because the destination is saying you're going in the rapture. But the Bible says, Romans chapter five, that we have peace with God right now through Jesus Christ. We're not at war. We're not under God's wrath anymore. We're at peace with God right now. We know for sure what's gonna happen if we die of the rapture. We don't have to worry. We have peace. Now, here's my point with that. How is this workspace mentality of the partial rapture, okay, how's that any different than the nightmare, peaceless scenarios of other works-based false pseudo-Christian cults like the Mormon Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Because what do they teach? A false gospel, just like partial rapture. It's on your works. You got to do this. You got to not do that. And it's all on you. You don't ever know. You never know. Are you going to get there, right? It's the same thing. The partial rapture people, just like uh, the pseudo-Christian cults, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and others, they teach you have to work your way into heaven or work your way to avoid punishment. It's the same false gospel. But here's my point. If you've ever noticed those people who believe in a works-based false gospel, like Mormons, like Jehovah's Witnesses, there is no peace. And if you do the studies, which we did before in our world religions, cults, and the occult studies, you see that they have a massive high rate of drug abuse and alcoholism and immorality and even suicide. Why? Because it's a nightmare scenario. You never know. You're told you got to do it by your works, but what if, and, and nobody knows how many. What if you, I'm going to ride my bike and do my little temple tour and, and then all these works that you got to do. And, and, and some say you got to stay away from caffeine. Others say, ladies, you better not wear pants. You better put your hair in a bun. Oh, don't go bowling. That's the eye of the devil. And it's symbolic when it crashes into those pins of that kind of horrible behavior that will destroy your life. And they never know. What if you tried really hard and you did a million good works? But what if you get to heaven? It's a million and one. Oops. <laughs> That's what they live under because you don't know. You have no peace. It's a horrible existence. It's the same peaceless existence with the partial rapture. You don't know. These guys don't even agree with each other. What's that list? Everybody's got their own list. This partial rapture person, you better stay away from that. that, that and you can prove you're worthy to escape the seven-year tribulation. Oh, yeah. They don't even agree. It's, it's no different. It's a horrible, rotten existence. One guy says this. One of the many, many, key word, there are many objections to the partial rapture view is, what's the standard by which Jesus takes people in the rapture? If Jesus is to leave some of his saints behind, how will he determine who needs additional purification in the seven-year tribulation? And will the Lord uh, qualify us for inclusion in the rapture on the basis of whether or not we're eagerly awaiting his appearing? He says, for me personally, as a Christian, I gotta be honest, it changes several times a day, as well as from day to day. I mean, there's honestly, there's days when I anticipate Jesus' return with great eagerness. There's other days when my mind, unfortunately, becomes preoccupied with other things. And I'm, I'm unaware of his imminent return for most of the day. How then could this ever-changing quality be the basis for whom Jesus includes in the rapture? Is maturity in Christ the standard? 
And what passage supports such a works-based approach of our deliverance from the seven-year tribulation? And does this not leave those who are brand new to the faith at a distinct disadvantage when it comes to trying to face, avoid facing this time of terror, right? Because they're baby Christians. Babies make messes. How many guys glad that been saved for a while and you, you don't make as many messes as you used to? Remember that? That's why the Bible says like, when you get saved, you're like a baby. Right? Babies are cool, but babies, they do stinkies a lot. And they need people to come and change their stinkies. Right? But you don't stay there. When you get the milk of God's word, then you get to milk, to mush, to meat, and you grow up in a process of maturity. But, but we still blow it, unfortunately. But wouldn't this put those brand new Christians at a disadvantage? If it's all based on your so-called maturity works. And by the way, would this not favor the dead in Christ? You'd be better off dead, according to the partial rapture theory. Because what's the Bible say? The Bible says in the rapture passage that, the, that Christ is going to take those who have already fallen asleep, those who are dead with him. But then the partial rapture says, well, and for those who are left behind, you still need possible purification. Well, if that's true, turn to somebody and say, hurry up and die. Because that's your only security. Right? It's crazy. And then finally this. He said, also, this partial rapture theory, listen to this. This is the sick irony. It's a detriment to those who are left behind. And we know the Bible is very clear. You can get saved in the seven-year tribulation. As we saw in that fifth seal, it's a horrible slaughter, man. Don't, you avoid the whole thing and get saved today. But think about this, and he says this, but those who are left behind, what if they listen to the workspace mentality of the partial rapture person? He said, here's what it would do. Imagine this scenario. Someone believes in the seven-year tribulation that the reason why, according to the partial rapture theorists, that the reason why they missed out on the rapture is because they lacked readiness. They weren't watching because of sin in their life. When in reality, no, you didn't trust by grace through faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But see, they believe that because that's what these people teach, the partial rapturists. And he says, listen, and so they double down on their good works, which means they're not going to get saved because they're not trusting the work of Jesus Christ. That's how dangerous this is, folks. Not only to us here today, the lost here today, but the lost who will be left behind in the seven-year tribulation, okay? And that's why we reject it. Also, again, partial rapture, just real quick. Again, as I've been stating, uh, everybody has their list of do's and don'ts. Again, it's like, it's like the cults, right? You got uh, Mormons that say, you got to stay away from caffeine. Even though we own tons of stock of Coca-Cola. Other people say, like, you got a certain dress. You got to wear a certain thing, right? If you aren't wearing a casual, corporate casual look like Pastor Billy and other people, you're going to be left behind. Ladies, the bun, you can't wear makeup. You don't want to wear makeup. You wear makeup, you're doomed. I like what Jay Vern McGee said. He said, hey, if a barn needs painting, paint it. Right? I didn't say that. He did. Right? It's not about legalism. But like you go, go down your list with the cults, right? What do they say? Oh, you got to do this. You can't do that. Nobody, it's the same thing with the partial rapture people. Everybody's got their list. And they don't even agree with one another. And dare I say, people are still doing it today. All the blue, out of the blue, all of a sudden somebody comes up with this. Here's the thing that you better avoid. Or are you going to be left behind at the rapture? Really? Now, I'm going to share with you a recent actual tweet from a, unfortunately, well-known Bible prophecy teacher. 
This was a bombshell. But here's what he recently tweeted out. Watch this. He said, quote, if Jesus will not allow anyone who harmed and didn't help his brethren, the Jews, throughout the tribulation to enter into the millennial kingdom right after, now if he stopped right there, it would have been fine. This is Matthew 25. We'll see that in just a second. And he's talking about the separation of the sheep and the goats, which obviously is at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Are we a part of that time frame, the church? No. If you stopped right there, you'd be fine. Watch what he adds to this. Why then would he, God, Jesus, allow such to be raptured as his bride before this tribulation? What? So you're saying that if I don't support the Jewish people, I'm not going in the rapture today? Really? Uh, last time I checked, yeah, supporting and praying for Israel. I don't have a problem with that. But it's not the basis of my salvation, let alone my departure at the rapture. That's through the cross of Jesus Christ and him alone. It's not of works lest anyone should boast. And you just made one up, which means that tweet and any rule the partial rapture people come up with is completely unbiblical. That's how dangerous, and I'm telling you, these, it's happening. People are starting to get loose, man, and you got to tie it together and stick to the scripture. I don't get to heaven, and I don't leave it the rapture to heaven anything to do with my works. It's only through the cross of Jesus Christ. The moment you add to it, it's a false gospel. You got to be careful, folks. Let me give you the last one. It destroys the context of the church. Now, the re- what I mean by this, as we close, these guys, unfortunately, they do the same thing, man, as we saw with the other three positions, post-trib, pre-wrath, mid-trib. And so what you do, of course, how do, what, what, what makes up for our final rule of faith and practice? It's the Bible. And so here they come and say, oh, yeah, well, this is, we're going to go through seven years of the seven-year tribulation. No, it's three quarters. No, it's the midway point. No, it's only the word that you get to go. And so what do we do as Christians, as Bereans? We go back to the word. We compare what they say to the word. And that's what we've been doing this whole study and seeing that it is completely not just unbiblical. It is blasphemous and is dangerous. That's why we reject it. You would think they would say, you know what? You're right. I need to get back to what the Bible says. Nope, they don't do it. And they do what these other guys do. These other positions, the same thing, the partial rapture. And they go to the scripture to see, (laughs) what can I tweak to make my position work? I only have time for two quick passages. One of the biggest ones that they tweak completely out of context to try to make it sound like only the faithful will go in the rapture is this one. And that is the parable of the 10 virgins. Okay. And here's what they would have you and I believe as we all get ready to hear something creepy. Here we go. Matthew 25. Jesus speaking. Matthew 12. At that time, the king... No, stop right there. Notice the context right out of the gates is what? At that time, what time? He picks up where he left off in Matthew 24. The kingdom, what kingdom? He's talking about the millennial kingdom, Right? Okay, we'll get to that in a second. But let's go through the scary tactics. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Oh no, five of them were foolish and five were wise. What's the difference? The foolish ones took their lamps, but they didn't have any oil with them. But the wise, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom, he was a long time in coming, and they, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. You know, Pastor Billy Sermons, who said that? That's not funny. All right. uh, at midnight, the cry rang out. Aha, here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Well, then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. But oh no, the foolish ones. Ah! They said to the wise, give us some of our, your oil. Our lamps are gone out. No, no, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. It said, you, you, you go sell to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. Oh no, the virgins who were ready went with him into the wedding bank and the door was shut. Oh no, Cody, what are we going to do? Later, the other said, sorry, sir, come on, open the door for us. And he said, I 
I tell you the truth, I don't know you. There it is, proof positive that only the faithful go in the rapture. The rest of you lazy slobs are doomed. Let's close in prayer. Encourage one another with those words. This is so unbiblical, it's not even funny. And let me give you just two quick points. First of all, if you wanted to say, even if you wanted to say that this text was dealing with the church and it's not, I'll get to that in a second. It's obvious that Jesus said to some of them, I quote, don't know you, which means some of them were fake. So how can you say this passage deals with all the church when clearly some were fake? But that's even if you wanted to say it was the church and it's not. More importantly, the context of Matthew 25 has nothing to do with the church. How do I know? Because for those of you hooked on chronology, Matthew 25 follows Matthew 24. That's right, brother, on the front row, Matthew 24. And I'm not going to go through that because we already did that multiple times in our rapture study. Matthew 24 has nothing to do with the church. None of it. Matthew 24 contextually is a perfect chronological order of the events of the seven-year tribulation all the way from the beginning, the midway point, the abomination of desolation, all the way to the end, all dealing with Israel. The very next verse, did you know chapter divisions were not in the original Bible? That came later with the Catholic guy. So the conversation continues. Matthew 24 ends with what? The angel harvest. It's not a rapture passage. We're what? As we saw before, at the end, preparing the way for the millennium, those who are left at the end of the seven-year tribulation on earth who are still alive, the Jewish remnant, God sends his angels to gather them up for the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. Those who are still alive, guess what? And still didn't get saved, turned to Christ. They're scooped up by the angels at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And guess what? You're thrown straight into hell. Notice the time frame. It's at the end of the seven-year tribulation in preparation for the millennium. That happens after the seven-year tribulation. Are we in the seven-year tribulation, let alone at the end? No, number one. Number two, he says, at that time, the end of the seven-year tribulation, and there's going to be a separation preparing for the millennial kingdom. That's why he said, at that time, the kingdom. So again, he's carrying the conversation of Israel now he starts in 24, the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, chronological order all the way through to the very end. 25 continues in the kingdom. Israel through and through. How can you say that's the church? It's not. That passage has to do with Israel being ready for the Messiah at the end of the seven-year tribulation, not the church. It's one of the biggest abused texts, Right? They need to be ready for Jesus when he comes back at the second coming. By the way, that's the second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation, not the rapture that happens prior. So all the way through, it has nothing to do with the church, but that's what they do. Let me give you one more more close. Another one they say is this is it. Here's proof that only those spiritual people get to go in the rapture. All right, you got me on that Matthew 25, taking it completely out of context. All right, I'll give you that one. We all know that if you're not an overcomer, that's the word, overcomer. You're doomed. And they start quoting these passages of Scripture. And again, Jesus is speaking here to the church. Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Here's what he says. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who what? Overcomes. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation 2.11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who what? Overcomes. Will not be hurt by the second death, as we see there. Uh, Revelation 2.17, he who's got an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him what? Overcomes. There it is again. To him I will give some of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows 
except for he who receives it. And, and, and Revelation 2, 26, he what? Overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end. Uh, to him I will give authority over the nations. And Revelation 3, 5, he who what? Overcomes, I'll, I'll be, thus be clothed in white garments and I'll not erase his name from the book of life and I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. Oh no, Revelation 3, 12, he who overcomes. Oh, there it is again. I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore. I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, my new name. And Revelation 3, 21, Cody, what are we going to do? Oh no, we're doomed. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. There you have it, folks. Proof positive. There you have it. Only the overcomers, the super duper saints, only those who are worthy by the behavior get to go in the rapture. The rest of us lazy people, the non-overcomers. Really? You're just twisting scripture. You're just grasping at straws. Last time I checked, I think you guys will get this one. John wrote the book of Revelation. Do you guys know who wrote 1 John? John is the correct answer. Give yourselves a double golf clap today, right? John is the one who uses this word in Revelation. He also uses the same word, overcomer, in 1 John. And did you know he tells us who that overcomer is? That's right, it's those people who avoid boiling, bowling and, and put their heads in a bun and, 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 and wear cool suits like that. That's who go. He didn't say that. Let's, let's read from the word John. I think John would know, you guys think? Who's the overcomer? Here it is, 1 John 5, 5. Who is the one who overcomes the world? Ah! Oh, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, the one who believes by grace through faith, not of your works, lest anyone should boast, like the partial rapture theorist, that it's Jesus Christ and his work alone on the cross that saves us. That's what makes us an overcomer. He makes us an overcomer by his work, not ours. So how could you sit there and say that that's, that's what you need to become, an overcomer? It's blasphemous. That's why we reject it. One guy says this, and I conclude. He says, the Bible does not teach a partial rapture position at all. But in one sense, watch this. The Bible does say that there's going to be a selective process. Hmm. But not the false teaching of partial rapture, but, but this. Jesus Christ will only take with him those who are saved Amen. and are trusting only in his work on the cross. That's the separation. Okay, And that's why the Bible says you need to get saved today. You need to choose salvation today. Whether it's your death or the rapture, which could happen today, you better make sure you're saved by grace, through faith, the cross of Jesus Christ. He says it's not going to be between the so-called super-duper saints at the rapture and the not-so-super-duper saints. It's between the saved and the unsaved. And that's why the classic hymn reminds us of this biblical truth. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the first hour I believed through many dangers, toils, and snares I've already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home, including home at the rapture. That's it. It's grace through and through. That's why it's called the blessed hope. If it's workspace, we're hopeless. And that's why we reject this. It's unbiblical, it's blasphemous, and dare I say it's dangerous. Okay? But unfortunately, that's not all. But here's an encouraging word as well. The eighth, here's the word you haven't heard in a while, final. The eighth and final thing that we're going to deal with our study on the rapture is this, the response to the rapture, right? As we wrap it all up, as we, we dealt with the back of our study, we dealt with all the different positions, right? My problem is this. I'm not joking. Years ago, when, when, when I felt led to do the book and the documentary on the rapture, the rapture don't be deceived, 
Um, you know what drove me to it? I never in my life thought I'd ever write a book on the rapture, ever. Because there's tons of them out there. But I got a little bit tired of getting the phone calls and the emails from people of these different positions saying, I'm not joking, I'm not only a heretic, whatever. Hear that all the time. I'm not only a false teacher, I'm not only a horrible shepherd, whatever. I'm not here to please you. But then it got to the point where people actually said, just because I believe in the pre-trib position, which I felt that we've made a pretty good biblical case, but whatever, just be, they now started saying, I am not only not saved, I'm going to hell and I'm leading people to hell because I believe in pre-trib. Stop right there. And you're doing this in front of the lost. You've got to be joking me. And so that's why I want to conclude our study. How do we handle as Christians these secondary issues? I don't know why you wouldn't come over to pre-trib. I think there's an ultimate book of case for it. But if you don't, what do we do? <laughs> I'm going to beat each other out. That's right. You're going, you're jumping. Ah! And you do this in front of everybody who doesn't know Christ. What a rotten witness. Are you serious? That's what I want to end on. How do we handle these different positions? I would say differently with partial rapture. Post-trib, pre-wrath, mid-trib, secondary issue typically. But partial rapture, if you think you're getting there by works, no, we need to go to town and love because you're preaching a false gospel. But these other ones, how do we handle the differences? That's what I want to conclude on. But again, as we always conclude in each of our studies, are you ready for the rapture? Now, as a Christian, what do you say? Oh, sure, Pastor, really? That's right, Cody. We are every week. But it's not enough to say it just like Cody does every week. Okay, uh, we need to show it, right? We're not saved by our works, but we love and we're thankful that it's by grace through faith that we're going to heaven if we die first or if the rapture happens and we skip the death thing. It's, we're, we're glad, we're excited. We want to, who wouldn't want to serve Jesus? Who wouldn't want to tell other people about him? Especially when we know we're getting that close to the seven-year tribulation and there's a way to avoid it. Isn't that the normal response? You, you share how to get out of this? By grace through faith, the cross? Right, that's all right. That's how we need to finish. But again, I don't know your heart here today. But if you're trusting, I go to church services. I'm sounding like I'm from South Carolina again. I go to church services. That's why I'm You're not saved. I try to be a good person. You're not saved. I, I give to certain cause. I help out the hunger. That's great, but you're not saved if you're trusting that. I took that membership with Clatcher Bobby. Well, sorry, yeah, I'm always picking on your membership class. It's a great class, trust me. <laughs> but if you're trusting the fact that you went to that class is what saves you, you're not saved. I got baptized recently at that big cattle trough you had out here at Sunrise. If you think getting dunked in water set, you're not saved. It's by grace through your faith, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And since he did the work, you receive it by faith. You believe. If you're not trusting that, guess what? You're going to be left behind. And time is running out. The Bible's very clear. Romans 11, when that last Gentile gets saved, and only God knows who that person is, and maybe it's somebody here today, bang, in the twinkling of an eye, we're out of here. And to help illustrate that point, give it up for Samuel and the Sunrise Acting Crew, also known as the College and Career Group and others. They depicted this. This is pretty cool. This came from the folks here at Sunrise. Watch this. again. Why are you crying? You know, it's just a game. You can be such a baby sometimes. 
Stop, I'm not in the mood right now. Let's just play again. Fine. You're just gonna lose again, though. You don't know that. He's the only way. He's the that only way. That can't be the only way. I worked so yeah. hard. Don't, no, man. I don't want to hear that. What are you saying to me? Please tell me you don't believe in all that crap. I help the homeless. I donate to charity. No. You tell me that's not enough? Let's no, just play again. Because it's right here. This is the only way to be saved. To confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ the Lord, and believe in your heart. That's the only way you can be forgiven and be delivered from your sins. Stupid. Can he really deliver me? Yes, yes, he can. What do I have to do? Have you heard of the gospel? Yeah, my mom has told it to me, but I didn't believe. What are you doing? Stop. Would you like me to lead you in a prayer? Mm -hmm. happen what if that last one was one of you here today that here in just a few minutes you went over there with Bob and Patty and prayed to receive Christ your Savior and then that scene's going to become real because it's really going to happen I don't know where you're at today if you're a born again Christian aren't you glad it's not by works it's by grace through faith through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and all you got to do is receive and believe it 
But if you're trusting in your works like those partial rapture folks, they're going to be left behind. Drop that like a hot rock. Run to the cross of Christ and receive him as your Lord and Savior by faith today. Amen. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place, so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. 
The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, For instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, Uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.